0: Thanks for tuning in. Charles Spillis was born in Greece in 1952. His family later moved to the U.S., and the Telegram and Gazette reported that he lived his early life in Boston. Although legally blind since childhood, Charlie was good with people and found work as a car salesman. A deeply religious man, he met Christine at church. She was divorced with two small daughters. At the age of 40, Charlie married 31-year-old Chrissy, and in 2001, the family moved to a rented farmhouse in a small quaint village of Brownington in Vermont. Charlie continued to work in car sales, and soon Chrissy gave birth to a baby girl her third child, and his first. Chrissy stayed at home with the girls, and the family lived off Charlie's part-time job. Then in 2005, Charlie quit his job, and they were forced to live off his disability check, which meant money was scarce. Chrissy hoped Charlie would find a new job and things would improve. Charlie then discovered public access television. Investigation Discovery's episode titled The Last Broadcast Recall how together he and Chrissy hosted a show called Open Forum. The middle-aged couple dressed in formal attire, Chrissy often in a dress, and Charlie in a suit. For five years, they interviewed local guests on all sorts of topics. Charlie was intellectual and used his people skills to ask engaging questions, and after the show, Chrissy performed the editing. Although they weren't paid for their efforts, Charlie hoped to make it to a paid position in mainstream broadcasting. In 2009, Chrissy was diagnosed with cancer. The journey encouraged her to get healthier she decided to quit smoking and use medication to help her quit. But then she had a hard time sleeping and began taking medication for that as well. Through it all, Charlie kept working for free at the Public Access TV. He decided to take a solo show on the road. While he traveled out of town interviewing guests four days a week, Chrissy was left at home to recuperate. Then Charlie heard about a new public access show called it News to Us, a show dedicated to news items that weren't covered by the big networks. He approached his host, Steve Merrill, and the two hit it off, discovering they thought alike and had the same sense of humor. Charlie quickly became a co-host, it was a lighthearted broadcast which made it fun to watch. Steve dressed in a green t shirt in front of the green screen, which made his body disappear and his head and arms float in midair. He topped it off with outlandish hats so that their audience would remember the show and come back for more. Charlie, on the other hand, was the opposite. Dressed in a sweater with a diamond pattern, that you'd picture a professor wearing. Steve liked to finish off the show with the phrase, if the news breaks, we fix it. By fall, Prissy had recovered and returned to the TV studio, working behind the camera on Steve and Charlie's new show as producer and editor. At work, everything seemed to be going well, but at home, things were a little different. There was tension between Chrissy and Charlie. She discovered that while she was ill, the bills had piled up. And Charlie still wasn't looking to get a paying job. He felt he didn't need to. His disability check would have to do. The stress was getting to Chrissy. But Charlie, well, it didn't seem to bother him at all, In August, Chrissy and Steve were having a conversation when he mentioned friends of his that had bought a car that turned out to be a lemon and that they crashed it into a tree to collect the insurance money. Chrissy responded by raising an eyebrow. It had piqued her interest. At 3.30 p.m. on September 22nd, the three of them finished an episode Steve headed home in one direction and Chrissy and Charlie headed in the other. It was a clear fall day with blue skies and a crispness to the air as they drove down Route 5A. Chrissy slid behind the wheel and buckled her seatbelt for the half-hour drive back to their farmhouse. Beside her, sitting unbuckled in the passenger seat, was Charlie, her husband of 17 years. The couple got into an argument about Charlie not looking for work. He was steadfast in his decision not to. Chrissy was angry and retaliated by lighting a cigarette to annoy her husband, who she knew didn't like smoking in the car. The couple continued to argue and poked each other's trigger points. With rage building, Chrissy spotted a lone oak tree on the mile stretch of straight, flat road. Standing tall and three feet wide, its trunk planted firmly in the ground. She gunned the car towards it. She'd had enough. Her foot didn't leave the pedal. The car hit with such a force, its hood crumpled and pitched itself up like a tent. Ray and Pam neck had just sat down to dinner when they heard a really large bang, so loud it sounded like dynamite. They looked out the window and all they could see was a large cloud of dust." Pam called 911 as Ray raced outside. Chrissy seemed to be okay, but Charlie was another matter. Without his seatbelt, his body took the brunt of impact, and his legs were crushed, and he was trapped. As reported by the Burlington Free Press, Emergency responders used the jaws of life to free Charlie. Then rushed the couple to the hospital. Chrissy was quickly assessed and appeared to be okay. But as the family huddled in the waiting room, it was hours before they received any word on Charlie. Then, It wasn't the news his daughters had wanted to hear. They had lost their father. Charlie was dead at 57. Police investigated the scene of the crash and noticed there weren't any skid marks. There were no rocks or any evidence of something that would have caused Chrissy to veer off. An officer visited Chrissy at home and questioned her about the accident. He asked about her medications and she listed them off, including Ambien, Chantix and antidepressants. Authorities came to the conclusion that perhaps a combination of drugs had caused her to black out. The crash was ruled an accident due to a medical condition. The case was closed and no charges were filed. A week later, Charlie was laid to rest. His funeral was held at the Greek Orthodox Church and attended by many who adored him, including his co-host, Steve Merrill. But Steve didn't see a distraught widow. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He found Chrissy's behavior odd and noticed she didn't shed a single tear. Weeks went by and Steve couldn't get Chrissy's behavior off his mind. So he visited the police station and told them. He thought there was more to Charlie's death. And he recounted the conversation he had with Chrissy months earlier about his friends that crashed their car into a tree but police can't act on a hunch and the case stayed closed in March 2011 the Hardbrook Gazette featured the local police report which stated that Chrissy had been pulled over at 9pm on a Friday night the car she was driving wasn't registered had no insurance plates that didn't belong to it and she was driving with a suspended license. Chrissy was handed over $700 in fines. It was 18 months after her husband's death when Chrissy decided to dip her toe into the dating game. Her hair was cut short into a stylish and flattering bob. Its dark, shiny strands framed her plain face she logged on to OKCupid, an online dating site. There she was matched with Kevin Leland. The two spent the next few weeks chatting online and instant messaging each other. The couple seemed to have a lot in common and arranged to meet face-to-face. Outside in the fresh air, on a road that wound through the countryside, They met on Route 5A. As they neared the giant oak tree where the crash occurred, Chrissy confided in Kevin that her marriage hadn't been a good one, that Charlie didn't treat her and the girls very well. Kevin was taken back with her sharing this. He barely knew her. He tried to console her by saying, It was an accident, but he wasn't prepared for her response. Chrissy told him, no, it wasn't. I killed him on purpose. Kevin didn't want to hear it. He certainly didn't want to be part of whatever this was. But he knew if he went to the police without evidence, they wouldn't believe him. So he arranged to meet Chrissy again, and this time, put a voice recorder in his pocket. Kevin had no idea why she trusted him with her secret. He told WCX News that Chrissy threatened to kill him if he recorded her and turned her in, and that she stood over him with a 13-inch Hunting knife. But her threats of impending harm didn't stop Kevin. He took the recording to the Vermont State Police. And while they didn't seem too surprised, the recorded conversation raised their eyebrows. Police were skeptical. Perhaps Chrissy was trying to impress Kevin. And the recording, while interesting, would be inadmissible in court. Police decided to get a warrant and enabled them to use Kevin as a confidential informant so that he could record Chrissy. And he did. And again, she confessed. On April 25, 2011, a detective visited Chrissy at home. Their conversation began by Chrissy complaining about how long it was taking the insurance company to pay out the $300,000 policy on Charlie's life. After patiently listening, the detective shifted the subject over to what really happened that day. But Chrissy tried to avoid the subject at all costs. She made small talk in an attempt to redirect his questions. But this only annoyed the detective, so he came right out and asked her, Did you ever do any research on how to survive a car crash? She answered, No. Then he asked her, Have you ever told anyone that you intentionally crashed your car to kill your husband? Again, she said no. The detective alluded that police had tapped her phone and computer and that they knew everything. A thin crack started to appear, but Chrissy held her ground and denied it. The detective left Chrissy with her thoughts. A few weeks later, she contacted him and confessed admitting she crashed the car on purpose to kill her husband. She also admitted that she didn't pass out, but claimed that when she aimed the car at the tree, she thought they would both die. Chrissy claimed that Charlie had been controlling and mentally and verbally abusive and that she just couldn't take it anymore. Chrissy was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. But the prosecution faced two big hurdles. The first being that their key witness, Kevin, had been arrested going over the border, carrying narcotics and a loaded handgun. The second was that Chrissy's confession was the only evidence against her. Prosecutors approached Chrissy With a plea deal. They would downgrade the charges to manslaughter if she pled guilty. Chrissy took the deal. Two years after she murdered her husband, NBC News reported that Chrissy was sentenced to seven to 15 years in prison. She was 44. Her husband Charlie, had he lived, would have been 59. Outside the courthouse, Charlie's relatives told reporters that the minimum seven-year sentence was not sufficient punishment. Chrissy was paroled after the minimum seven years, but it didn't take long before she got in trouble with the law again. In June 2019, she was arrested for assaulting her boyfriend. Douglas Badger, and returned to prison. He told reporters that she had issues and needed help. Chrissy was charged and convicted of domestic assault and sentenced to 16 to 18 months in prison. Meanwhile, 250 miles away in Massachusetts, Charlie is buried with his parents at Zion Cemetery, On the simple gray granite headstone, one side simply states the name Billis, adorned with a cross and flowers. On the other side, three names are etched. George, Aphrodite, and our son, Charlie. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of April Millsap. No one expects anything sinister to happen in a small town where everyone knows each other. But when a stranger showed up in Armada, 14-year-old April was brutally murdered. The app on her phone would lead police to her killer. If you are dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murder 20com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murder 20com We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music sound effects and Fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.